The best rugby insight and analysis. I mean, what do you say before a World Cup final? <laughs> you don't know, what do you say? Oh, lads, it's a big game. We better win this one. Oh, okay, yeah. No, yeah. Not, I've not thought of it, yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Hello and welcome back to Off The Ball It's Kathleen McNamee here taking over from John Duggan for a little bit While he hot tails over to the Aviva for Leinster versus La Rochelle There's live commentary coming up later on But for now I am joined by... Dan McDonnell and Damien Delaney on the line to take you through all the football action this afternoon. Uh, Tottenham and Brentford is on at the moment, about 72 minutes gone there. And Tottenham, after taking the lead through Harry Kane, are 2-1 down. So things not going too well there. Um, a brace for Brentford's Mbumu. Uh, Dan, how are things with you? Good, Kathleen. You were at the League of Ireland last night? I was up in Dundalk last night, yeah. I was probably in the wrong game. It's always the way it goes. Like you, There was a lot of different games to do last night. And uh, I went there. I think Shells Pats was on TV. I don't think that was any good. I think that was a poor enough game. Um, but yeah, draw to win and then Shamrock Rovers ended up being the game to be at, which no one expected uh, to be that good, but it was. Um, and that was a great story for Drada and delighted for them and their manager Kevin Doherty because their man- their budget is tiny they should not be winning in Tala but they did and, t- and two great goals people might have seen them online two terrific uh, team goals so um, the knock and bows was good like two all a bit of drama um, but maybe not the not the big talking point of the night yeah, I was watching, I think it was you that tweeted out said Drada's second goal and it was such a lovely team goal. I think there was about nine individual yeah. touches before it got and of all the players that touched the ball, I think only two of them touched it twice. Everything else was single touch. Yeah, it was one touch and it was like I mean I would have made the point that like I mean, this is the thing, it's it's no surprise, like Shells a couple of weeks back scored a brilliant goal in Tala. Um and it's like, you know, it's revolutionary stuff here. If you have a good play on surface, um you know, where, you, where teams can fizz the ball around a bit, they do good things, you know. And the point I would say is there's that draw the team goal last night. There are several pitches in the country where you just couldn't do that because the surface wouldn't allow you to do it. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of chat this week, you know, where you had Damien Duff out the other day. Um, we always seem to be having these, like, soul-searching state-of-the-nation debates in football and Ireland on a weekly basis. Um, and... One of the most obvious things is facilities. The product looks better. Everything looks better. And teams can also play better on it, which is, I mean, you know, Dan was there on the line. Like, you know, there's obviously a quite a contrast between playing on a pitch where you can't control the ball properly um, and a pitch where you can. And one definitely showcases the league in a much better light than the other. Mm, I was going to ask you, Damien, is there any particular pitches over the course of your career that you played on and it, you could just feel it making your football better? I, I, I quite like the bobbly ones, really. It was a good leveller, Dan. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we're going to mention Daily Main Park again, Damo. We're only on a minute. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah, I quite like the, the, the slippery ones. No, but I agree with that. Playing surfaces are important. Um, I don't know if Dan got a chance to see the Cork City goal last night as well. Yeah, um, I did. Which was, which was a similar... Um, ish type um, move maybe not as lengthy but there was some fabulous football played um, by Cork and a lovely through ball um, for Keating to score um, what turned out to be the winner but some of the football on, on display at Turners Cross yesterday was was epic but I suppose we're at that time of year now where you know the temperatures are up grass is growing um, there's obviously still enough rain around to keep the pitches lush 
Um, the, the, the key is obviously as the summer drives on and, you know, pitches get dried out, um, they will get a little bit damaged and that's when you can find the bobbles and they can be a little bit difficult playing surfaces. So that is a challenge is to maintain that. But I just think that, you know, the month of May in Ireland, April, May is always the perfect um, grass growing weather. That's why the pitches always look so good right now. Um, but so it's when the, the, the sun comes out in full force and... And, and, and they dry out that, that will be the challenge yeah you'd, you'd only miss Johnny to talk about the climate change now but like but you have uh, I would mention that through ball from Cork last night Joe O'Brien Whitmarsh the, he's an 18 year old fellow who put the through ball he's a player as well we'll be hearing more about him I think in the in the coming years but yeah well, it was a good performance from Cork last night to get that win against Sligo Rovers, who are on a pretty downward turn at the moment. Like three games, mm. no wins, no points. What's gone wrong for them? I don't really know, to be honest, because I've um, a couple of times I've seen them this season, they've been pretty good. Um, and like they went to Tala a couple of weeks ago and, and probably should have beaten Shamrock Rovers. They're, they're, the stats, you know, stats obviously can be very misleading, but like, you know, goal attempts and stuff like that was very high. Uh, and yeah, they've they, they've they've lost every game since, so it's very hard to know. They had, I don't think they've kept a clean sheet this season, which is a problem. Um, and you know, if your team is low in confidence, needing a result, and you're you're playing catch up in games all the time, maybe that's an issue. Um, but yeah, that that's the thing. It's a something. It's a funny one. Like Derry are back on top now. Um, when they were completely dominated by Shamrock Rovers two weeks ago in the Brandywell, and you think, God, this season's going to end up being another procession again and it might end up being that way still um, but Derry are starting to get a couple of their players back and the top two are probably going to start pulling away and a lot of those teams in the middle are very inconsistent and there's not a huge amount between them to be honest hmm. And Damien what about Cork then because they're obviously second from bottom at the moment but they are six points ahead of UCD so there is a bit of a cushion there An important win for them last night yeah, absolutely. You know, and I know Drogheda winning as well. A lot of people say, you know, the one time we get a, a win, Drogheda go and win as well. We had a chance to, to, to close the gap. But, you know, we're still at the stage of the season where we just need to focus on ourselves and kind of internalise all our energies and start moving ourselves in the in the right direction. But it was a good performance. Um, and we said that a lot. Well, I said that a lot about Cork City this year. Some of the performances have been pretty good and we've had leads in games, lots of games. Only last week, you think Dundalk would... would you know, we always seem to find a way to, 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 to maybe give the lead away or to lose the game. And I think last night was significant that, you know, even though the, the, the pressure was coming late on from Sligo, Cork City withstood it and withstood it well and fully deserved um, fully deserved the win. Um, Liam Buckley's come in there in the last number of weeks and um, trying to instill a bit of confidence, a team that was low on confidence. Um, but he's doing a great job. Um, so things are starting to look up, but it's just about consistency now for us. You're not thinking of throwing any CVs in there, Damo or anything? No, you wouldn't be. Uh... I, don't have, I don't even have a CV, Dad, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the most unqualified person now to walk into a change room. So, um, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm happy going to the games on Friday night watching it. Um, and Liam Buckley, as I said, is doing a great job as, as we continue our search for, for a new manager. When you are a team that's low on confidence in that and you do get someone that comes in and I suppose lifts you in the way that Buckley has over the last couple of weeks, like what, what is it? Is it particular to a certain team what they need in that moment or is there kind of a formula that tends to, even if it's just for a couple of weeks or a couple of matches, gets you through? And it's, Sometimes it could just be a different voice. You know, sometimes you get used to losing and you get used to conceding goals in injury time, which, which, which we've done numerous occasions this year. Um, and, and, and sometimes the manager gets down as well and, 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 and gets stuck in a rut, really. 
and a different voice comes in, somebody who's kind of unaffected by the results before, and a bit of enthusiasm just seems to rub off on the players, and he's trying to change mindsets, you're trying to get players to think positively that when you do go in front, that it's not panic stations, you know, and then you end up snatching at the result, and you panic, and, and, and people make mistakes, and red cards, I know we had one last night as well, um, but we managed to get it over the line with 10 men, so... Um, it's something that's just a different voice. Um, someone just comes in, like I said, and just G's the players up, and, and then you get a result, and that's why it was important last night that we got that result over the line, and that'll give players confidence now that if we are carrying leads into the last five minutes of a game, injury time, that you will kind of have a, okay, we've done this before, we know how to do it, um, because when you are conceding goals in injury time, there is a dread that when you know the board goes up, you think, oh my God, this is when we concede, and it's just a mentality thing, but Liam's come in and he's done a, a superb job. And we touched on it briefly, but kind of want to go into a bit more of that game for Drogheda last night because it was a big win for them. I know you weren't at it, but you've yeah. seen a little bit from it. And I don't know, I've caught bits and bobs of their games over the last couple of weeks and they always seem to perform well, but just not able to totally finish it out in the way that they showed. Was there much surprise, do you think, around the club that they were able to get a performance like that last night against Rovers I think I think there has to be surprised that they got the result in that game but like they're uh, look at stats again I mean but their stats they're, they're, they're certain games where they're like you know they've they've been dominant on all the metrics apart from the scoreboard you know and I mean they were heading into like a, a hell of a losing run they were building up but games have all been pretty close I think the important thing like to remember is that Drada like are operating off a part time budget and I think that is probably going to it's going to be a thing of the past, I think, for where the league's going in terms of the Premier Division, um, and like you know, the, the sometimes it can be overplayed by clubs. You know, they do lots of training still, but still, if you look at Drogheda this season, I think they've lost all of their Monday games. Um, that when, um, or certainly they haven't won any of them anyway. That when it comes to like three games in a week, um, they just can't they can't match up because they don't have the the same sort of recovery the same sort of access to um, just to you know the access to the players to be able to look after them in the way that other clubs can and the, the depth of the squad to the point where I think they only had one senior player on the bench last night and it was all kids so um, in that context I don't think this is the game where they would have expected them to get the result but actually in the last year or two they have a great record against Shamrock Rovers for whatever reason. They drew with them earlier in the season, could have beaten them. Um, there was a late penalty that could have gone their way. Um, last season, they took points in Tala as well. So there's obviously something about it um, that you know they don't have a fear factor in that game against a very dominant team. Now, I think they had 21% possession last night, so there, you know, there was a, a massive smash, smash and grab element to it. Um, but they're completely punching above their weight. You know, they um like, you know, you're talking about there, you'd have you'd have Shamrock Rovers last night who you know, biggest budget in the country, you know, some very and, and you know, rightly so, like, you know, very well played players and, and, and staff and, and you know, they wake up this morning with nothing on their mind but uh, you know, getting over last night's defeat or whatever. You know, Kevin Doherty was delivering post this morning, um and he's a draw the manager, so uh, it's it's a weird thing about the league here that we still have two teams in the same division living a completely different existence, a completely different lifestyle. Um, and as I said, I think we're hopefully getting to a place where that doesn't happen. Uh, and Drawder probably need to um, get their act together in some ways and, and, and figure out what they're going to do because there's been talk of investment and takeovers to make this happen because what they're doing at the moment it probably isn't sustainable over a longer period of time um, because these players... 
the people involved I mean they're going to be picked away by other clubs that's what happened to them last year they've come again this year um, but you can't keep doing that forever mm. and how much interest do you think there is or isn't out there for the possible investors coming in to take over the club? They've been, yeah, like they've been in talks with with, with people for the last while. I think you know the, there's obviously talk of like Hull City and Shelburne and, and that whole multi club model. I think you know Hull might have talked to them to draw that at one point as well. Um, and I think there's been ongoing talks with um, with a couple of groups that have been going on for quite some time. To be honest, and I think you're probably at the stage where people are waiting for. A development um, there is definitely interest there there is definitely things have been happening um, but I think it's getting to the stage where Drada probably are a lot of clubs are probably very happy that UCD are in the Premier Division this year but no disrespect to UCD um, but they're very likely to finish bottom and it maybe takes the pressure off um, everyone else to, to that degree where you could get automatically relegated like Cork City are in that boat where they're still might be in a playoff but next year like Galway are coming up or Waterford are coming up um, you're not going to have a team like that in the Premier Division and, and a, a part-time team just, just won't be able to compete in the next one, two, three years um, and that's 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 where they're at so I think Kevin Doherty and the staff are doing brilliant at the moment but there's a shelf life in terms of what they can achieve within their current uh, within their current structure. And we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it wasn't a game for the ages with St. Pat's against Shelburne last night. Strong comments from Damien Duff after the game, kind of saying to his players, basically, you know, I expected more from you. It was obviously on TV as well. So there was a lot of excitement in the build up to the game. He had strong comments during during the week as well, saying that the League of Ireland is still looked down on abroad. Damien, I don't know where you lie on those comments. Do you think they're fair or do you think that... It's a bit, I don't know, I suppose Damon Duff maybe taking the hump a little bit. Yeah, I suppose you'd have to understand what he, what he says when he, when he, you know, looked down upon, you know, um, English clubs and clubs from abroad has been taking players out of the League of Ireland for years. So they obviously feel there's some quality or there's some production level of players. And of course, you know, nobody's going to come in and, and just give you the money you want. You know, players, football clubs, blind players are always trying to do the best deal possible and some ways, sometimes you think that League of Ireland clubs are getting shafted, so to speak, with the, the scalping of their players. But then that's up to the League of Ireland players to put themselves in a position where they can say no, that they can say, oh, hang on a second, no, we, we're going to reject that offer like they do in the UK. If someone from the, the Championship wants to buy a player from League Two, you know, if the League Two club is in good shape, they can hang tough and, and, and get the price that they want to get. Um, I suppose all too often, the finances of League of Ireland clubs and the, the, the desperate nature uh, of certain clubs at certain times meant that they just had to take any money. Um, so, you know, that, I think that's what Damien is alluding to. Yeah. But, you know, if you're buying a football player, you know, you're not going to pay over the odds just to help out the selling club. You know, you're going to try to do the best deal. And if you feel there's a weak spot in a team um, and you can take advantage or exploit that and get a player in the cheap, then you're absolutely going to do it. So, you know, we need to stop worrying about what other people outside the league think of us. We get our house in order. We get ourselves sorted out. We get us ourselves where we want to be. And then we're in a much stronger bargaining position. Yeah, I think like the culture, like it, the, the culture of um, that Duff is referring to is born out of history. Like it is born out of the, the belief that you can you can get away with it by offering nothing in Ireland because often clubs will accept it and be willing to do business on mad terms. Now Duff was obviously talking specifically about maybe agents looking for very cheap release clauses and contracts and also... I mean, the the headline grabbing stuff was about you know, the odd club in England who would ring up and 
um, and would say, you know, do you know what GPS uh, systems are in Ireland? And like, it's actually, you know, Statsport to be an Irish company who supply most of the GPS vests, I think, to the clubs in the Premier League. But, I mean, part of that does come from, does come from how our, you know, the reputation for how Ireland has carried itself over the years and how, uh, and I still think it exists here as well. I mean, I, I know exactly what Damien's saying there, that clubs would, uh, clubs should, you know, say no. Like a League Two club would have no problem saying, uh, you know, a player, you know, someone comes in for a player and they'll have no problem I'm saying no and looking for more. Here, I still think there'd be a belief sometimes that you'd be accused of holding a player back by not letting them go to England. And that becomes like a, that becomes a thing that that's part of it. Like how, how dare you almost say no to a bid? You're standing in his way because we still have this belief that if you don't get this move now, it might never happen for you. And it's the end of the world and you're denying this someone their, their dream. Whereas obviously it's a little bit sometimes different internally between, um, between clubs and England. And that's part of the thing. And, and Duff has said they're not doing any of these clauses and... You know, when it comes to uh, some of their better players, they're not going to be afraid to say no, and and they will bargain. And some clubs have driven a bargain in recent years and got better deals. Um, but it's true that over a long period of time, um, how you like your structures and how you appear and the length of contracts you give your players at underage level, young players will reflect it. Like you probably see it, you know, in the women's game as well at mm-hmm. the moment where it's at, it's coming to an interesting stage now where you're, you're trying to start to pay players here. And naturally, if you're not paying players in a country, well, then you can't look for, like everyone has to go for free because yeah. they're amateurs. But you're, you're at the stage as well where it's like the culture exists where if you're willing to let players go for nothing, uh, that you won't be respected either. And like you have to find that sort of happy medium. And that's where we're trying to get to in this country. But the clubs here should look for more money for players. It's true that English clubs will offer scandalous money. Like, sc- like I hear these anecdotal tales of like, you know, four or five grand. It's like a, f- a fraction of a player's, first team player's wages. And they'll try it because they might get away with it before. But in saying that, the flip side is that clubs here sometimes will have a young player who's 17, 18, a professional. And they'll try and offer them 70 quid a week, you know, 100 mm. quid a week, yeah. you know, nothing. And then it, it, when, when, they're sh- when they're showing a bit of potential, they might try and get them on a two and a half, three year deal to protect their position. But clearly they, they, they haven't always done that to everyone from the start. And that's, I think the, the progress probably lies somewhere in between, mm. you know, and, and how you portray yourself will have an influence on what people will pay for players from your country. Yeah, just a quick update there while Dan was talking. Brentford have gone 3-1 ahead. Uh, Spurs player, or Spurs supporters leaving the stadium in their droves. Uh, Young Wisa, assisted by Amubu, who got the brace beforehand, scoring there. Yeah, no, it's interesting when you say about the, you know, about the women's game and stuff. I host a podcast with Emma Byrne and she talks about it a lot whenever, say, we talk about players going from the Women's National League over to England to play and how it benefits the player it benefits the Irish team on a national level, but it doesn't necessarily benefit the league here all the time. And Emma Byrne herself, who went over at a very young age and start you know played with Arsenal for years, she's always like, "Well, sure, who like that's what they're supposed to do. That's how they develop." She has this very strong thing that it's important for the country to have players that are going over and then also ones that are willing to come back when they maybe retire or when they stop playing to help out in in growing the league here and yeah. making sure but is that sort of you very much say someone who will view the league as a, a feeder system rather than uh you know a league separate to itself yeah i look i just th- but i just think like 
like you look at a lot of countries in Europe, like the problem, like the problem football has in this country is that like every other country also plays football. You know, in terms of like the comparisons to other sports, and I was looking during the week, the under seventeens are had a tough game against Poland. They lost five one, and. Um, UEFA re- released this report recently and it's the first report they've done on the youth infrastructure all around the the 55 nations. Now, look, this was primarily based around men's top division clubs, right? That was, mm. I think, the the, 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 sort of the sample size they used. But it had like a list of, you know, number of full-time employees uh, in youth football, you know, per, you know, per country, per club, average under a number of headings. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, full-time, like Poland, for example, was 11 to 15 per club, you know, but three on scouting or three on various other. And Ireland is all like zero to one, zero to one, zero to one. And in most cases, that's zero. And like... You know, a lot of what my point is that a lot of other countries in Europe, like a lot of how they fund themselves is by, yeah, you produce players, you invest in new coaching, but then you sell them. And I think I wouldn't like this attitude. It exists historically here that we outsource everything to England. Like we get a talented player um, and it's obviously going to become more of an issue in the women's game now because more are playing and there's more visibility and, you know, teams are there's better underage teams now. Um, but if it gets to it gets to a stage where you just get to a point where you wave them off for nothing, and nothing is fed back into the system here, um, that's fine. Like, but there comes a point where you you reach your ceiling, and other countries will shoot ahead of you because they will like be invariably paying more coaches at an underage level. They'll be trying to get some money and from fees for players or compensation to come back in. And I, I think this idea, this, this is the point of thing. In Ireland, sometimes like you're standing in someone's way mm. by looking for some, by placing some value on them before you go. And I just think that's all wrong. Like I think that's something that you have to change. Well, yeah, Dan, you have to offer a viable alternative. Of course, you know? of course. Like you, yeah. you know what I'm saying. So if if you're playing part-time football and you're on seventy quid a week and you're yeah. training, you know, a Drogheda or whatever on a midweek night, and all of a sudden an English club comes in, then I think it's a valid argument that yeah. you, know, you could possibly yeah. stand in the kid's way. So it goes back to my original point: we have to get our own house in order, you know, and and, and offer a viable alternative to the kids and say, no, no, you're going to stay here because you're on a three-year deal and you're on good money. I wonder, no pressure to sell you, and if they want you bad enough, they're going to up the up the um up the price because we have we see you as a certain value and we're under no pressure to sell you um obviously that's easier said than done and that's obviously a dream world where we all want to get to um and but i think you know with the likes of damien duff in the league we're, we're certainly moving in that direction yeah like we're always going to sell it like i mean let's be honest most leagues in europe are selling leagues like you know like pretty much mm. you know probably 50 51 52 of them probably are i mean even now especially when you're next door to england um, and I think people are realistic about that, but and that's true. That's my point. Like Shamrock Rovers, when it came to Gavin Bazunu, for example, they were able to, you know, they were able to bargain a little bit, and he was in the first team, and then they got around half a million quid, and they end up getting three point five through sell-ons. Um, yeah. You know, and I mean, I know Cork City in the last year have let a number of decent young players go, but a lot of them it's like fifty, sixty grand up front, um, and then clauses, and you hope that they pay off. But it could be argued. Um, while an equivalent player from Scandinavia might arrive for a slightly bigger fee, it could be argued that you know the wages and stuff that are offered here, as Damien says, means you can't ask for too much more than what they go for either. And that's the thing. Like there's a, it is true. We ha- sometimes there's a culture of blaming everyone else for our problems as well. Like you have to get your house in order too. But clearly there's a happy medium, and you do you do get annoyed sometimes when you hear of English clubs like you know with big big proper budgets coming in and trying to get away with offering like three, four grand. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's, but they, they know that because that's negotiation and they know that, you know, they've probably at some point in their past have come to Ireland 
and got away with that. Yeah. And then you'll keep trying it again. And Damien, how much of a risk do you think it is for Damien Duff at the moment to be saying that he doesn't offer release clauses in contracts? Like, if you're a young player, is that an exciting prospect of knowing you're going to a team where everyone is fully committed to the project at hand? Or is it a little bit off-putting if you know that maybe you have the potential in a year or two to move on over to England or maybe further afield? Um. I don't think it's it's risk. I don't think Jamie Duff would see it as a risk. You know, he's tired of getting bullied. He's he's not happy with the situation that Irish players getting scalped on the cheap. So he's putting in a, a clause because players are getting scalped for very very cheap because agents are asking for sell on um, sell on clauses or or, or, or minimum ter- whatever they're looking for. And he's just having no more of it. And if a player doesn't want to come in and, and, and sign that type of contract, then he's obviously happy for those players to go elsewhere. Um, so I don't think he sees that as a risk at all. And is it the sort of thing that because he's now speaking out about it quite a bit and making his point quite forcefully and like rightly so, as you say, because he's tired of being bullied by other clubs or possibly by agents. Do you think it's something that could spread along the lead a a bit more or is it the sort of thing where obviously only certain clubs are going to be able to afford to do it as well because you're not going to do it if you're one of the lower clubs? that Well, well, I I think what's happening now is though, I think clubs have probably stopped trying to do some of these clauses. I think Bowes probably have as well after being done by it. But of course, there's always a workaround. And what, what you'll find now is that players will be advised to sign shorter contracts here so that you may not have a release clause in your contract, but your contract may be up you know, sooner. Now, if that player is under 23, then there is a, a compensation figure that is actually laid down by um, by FIFA, which, you know, actually often it could be quite a high amount and then you do a negotiation around that. But that's that's part of the thing. Like Damien Duff says, I mean, I'm not going to stand any player's way, but I've told him we're not going to do these clauses. If someone wants you badly enough, they're coming to get you. Like, we're not talking about clubs here suddenly for a 50 grand player looking for... 500 grand you know it might just be to get 150 you know and just like you know to get that small rise but it all adds up because with the Brexit reality that exists now um, we're seeing a lot more players go away at 18 and naturally at 18 they're going as senior they're going as older professionals so there's a little bit more of a negotiation involved and like like we were talking small steps here we're talking about that 50 grand just becoming 100 you know but obviously if there's multiples of that you know, it for ten players per quickly. year, yeah, it adds up, and I think that's where we're going to. And I think sometimes it's not—it's not like clubs are looking to hold people to ransom too much either. But often that's what agents will try and tell you that you know, these English clubs won't pay—you know—they won't pay a hundred grand, but they'll pay fifty. I mean, that's that's not strictly true. I think if you push them, they will. Yeah, well, lots of excitement still to come in the rest of the League of Ireland, and a great set of matches last night. We're going to go to an ad break now, but we will be back after these. Welcome back to Off the Ball and the football show on this Saturday. I am joined by Dan McDonnell and Damien Delaney. Uh, the football show is brought to you by Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. So Tottenham Brentford has just finished Tottenham's last home game this season and uh, won't be too happy a day for any Spurs supporters out there. Maybe it's a little bit better that JD isn't in the hot chair now and he's on his way over to the Aviva where hopefully Leinster can give him something else to shout about. But uh, yeah, mm. 3-1 loss for them there. Um, Harry Kane getting the first goal off a classic Harry Kane-esque free kick that gives him 28 goals so far this season. And then Brian Mbubu getting two goals and then Yon Wisa finishing it off in the 88th minute there. 
Um, a lot of talk about Harry Kane. What's he going to do this summer? Is this possibly the last time we have seen him in a Spurs jersey at home for them? Yeah, you wonder. I mean, it is their last home game of the season. I know, you know, they will know the routine. The last home game, you go around, you know, and you sort of you applaud the fans or whatever. And <laughs> you've had an absolutely horrendous season, like 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 Spurs have had here. You're like sometimes they go back in, don't they, and come out ten minutes later, and I'm kind of thinking, is anyone yeah. going to be left? Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you experienced that anywhere after any bad seasons. Uh, no, I mean, like, look, I mean, ultimately, like, I think that stadium would have been sparse. You know, there wouldn't have been a lot of people, but there would have been diehard Spurs fans there. You know what I mean? That 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 will hang around and just, I won't say thank the players, but probably be thanked really for their patience by yeah. the players. Would probably be the reason why they'd stay. Um, but you know, the players have to do it. You know, you can't um, not do it because um, it's, it's an awful look. So the players probably just want the season to be over and done with. Everyone just wants to get in the holidays, now regroup and, and start again next year. And hopefully, Spurs can sort out their their issues, get a permanent manager in place, um, and start competing again. But a lot, a lot, a lot of questions for Spurs the next couple of months. You kind of wonder, like, will will Kane move? Is it possible? Like, I mean, it's sort of. Uh, I know it seems to have cranked up again now and like there was a moment we were talking about here in the second half where like the camera was on Daniel Levy watch yeah. and it caught him and I don't know who was next to him who sort of gave him a little pat on the knee as clearly like fans were chanting about him at this stage and it's all very public but I mean there is an argument Damien that like like could selling Kane in some ways make sense you know in terms of some kind of rebuild I mean it seems illogical in a way that it could it could be good for Spurs in any way it's more so good for Harry Kane but like is it is it plausible he could go um it's absolutely plausible he could go but I mean you got to look at where he could land whereas you know who who would want him Daniel Levy is a notorious um negotiator probably one of the toughest one of the strictest um, just from hearing stories, you know, from players that were at Spurs, how difficult he can be to deal with. Um, and he will not let anybody get Harry Kane on the cheap. Even though he's only got a year left in his contract, he's going to look for probably over and above the market value. You know, the way to determine a player's market value, you know, someone like Harry Kane with a year left in his contract. Um, you know, there are some clubs out there that are in dire need of a number nine and might be willing to pay over the odds. But if anyone thinks that Daniel Levy's going to let Harry Kane go for, for the benefit of Harry Kane, I don't think they're going to generate a huge amount of money um, with a year left in his contract. I mean, it'll be a significant sum, but it's not going to be like when they sold Gareth Bale and, and, and bought four or five players. So um, it just depends as well what Harry Kane does. I mean, if Harry Kane says, look, I'm not playing next year and really threatens to go on strike to force through a move, but even then, Daniel Levy will not be bullied. He will not be coved. He will stand firm, and, and 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 I know that he will make Harry Kane come back pre-season and put him through the the indignity of showing up for pre-season after handing in a transfer request, threatening to go on strike, you know, and then eventually sell him the day before the transfer window closed in early September, you know. Um, so uh, it's going to be a difficult one for Harry Kane um, to get out of there. Um, they don't even have a manager. Like you can't sell your best player without a manager. You know mm. that's outrageous he's going to have to you know Daniel Levy will absolutely be saying to Harry Kane I've got to wait for a manager to come in first and when the manager comes in he'll assess the squad and then he he needs to be appraised of the situation in terms of you know what money he'll get out of the Harry Kane sale if there's money available so you know it's not a, a, a nice situation for Harry Kane to be honest with you does he want to leave you know I, I had a discussion a couple of weeks ago there with Kenny Kenny was like adamant that Harry Kane was set on this goal scoring Premier League record 
I don't know, you know, like like Kenny was of the opinion that he prioritised that over trophies, you know, because if he leaves if he leaves uh, Tottenham, where's he going to land in England? When you look at the teams that are really going to be competing for the the, the, the trophies of the next coming years, probably only Manchester United yeah. would be the only ones interested in taking him. Are Manchester United going to be t- title contenders in the next couple of years? You know, debatable depends on their situation as well with the with the takeover and, and whether they can sort their their club with their own issues. Um, you know, after that, then you're looking at you know, Bayern Munich are in dire need of a number nine. So does Harry Kane decide, okay, I'm going to go to Manchester United, stay in England and going to go after Alan Shearer's record. That's that's my priority now in life. Or is he going to say, I'm going to go to Bayern Munich and compete for, well, probably, I won't say compete for Bundesliga, win Bundesliga and um, and compete for Champions Leagues, you know? So um, these are all the questions that he, he, he'll need to be asking. You won't know. I, I was of the opinion that he, he, he'd take trophies over the Premier League record. Um and if he's looking for trophies, I'm not sure going to Manchester United, you're going to be, you know, you might be guaranteed a League Cup or an FA Cup. But in terms of challenging for Premier League and Champions League, which is what he wants, I presume, you know, that would be the interesting thing. It's interesting the kind of thing about whether he wants the record or he wants the trophies. Like the thing about the record is, it's they're they're always beaten at some stage. Someone's going to come along. It's a little bit better or gets a little bit more opportunities, and then that record is gone once again. Whereas if you have a trophy, even if it is a FA Cup or a League Cup, that, that medal is always there for you. And there's nothing to say as well that it won't be both that happens for him as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think how many how many goals does Haaland need per season to get to that <laughs> record on his averages, you know? Like, he's got to be... But that's, that's, the other, so that's the other thing, that he's not even... He's, he's, not even well, he's not even close. Like, you know, he's, he's 40 goals shy of it. Mm. You know, I mean, that's still two full seasons of scoring 20 goals a season. I mean, it's not guaranteed if he picks up an injury, you know, he's going to be 32 by the time he breaks. I'm going to say, listen, it's, he's going to do it if he stays in England, yeah. but it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not like he's 15 shy of it and he's going to do it by Christmas next year, you know. It's a, it's a couple of years away, so I'm not sure hanging around for something that's going to take that long to achieve. But again, you, you wouldn't know that until, until you're inside his head. Yeah, I think, I think we see the problem everyone has in the Premier League is... I mean, say challenging for titles. Like, who can even compete with Man City? Like, this is a broader issue as well. I mean, what's that? They're going for five and six. I mean, is there any reason to think that they won't maintain that pace? Um, unless, I mean, okay, we'll see what happens with these takeover situations that are going on. Like, we'll see what happens with the Manchester United one. Obviously, if, say, Qatar come into the mix, I mean, like, uh, obscene wealth and spending is what they're all about. And, and you know, and we wonder what happens with Newcastle uh, as well, that, okay, maybe Middle East money can challenge Middle East money. Um, but it is, I mean, that that's great for Harry Kane, but as, as Damien points out, like his age is there where he's thinking like the next three years, the next three, four years. If he's, if he's 23, mm-hmm. you know, if he's 24, mm-hmm. then I think you definitely go to probably someone like Manchester United if owners are making sounds about going that way. It's a little bit more of an equation, but, you know, in saying that, um, maybe there's, there's obviously a certain thing about being the one club man which is which is great you know you, you have a legacy that comes with that and he's br- broken the Spurs records and you know you, you're coming back in years to come and you're revered because you haven't left in some way um, but you know maybe like any people like anyone in life you're only human you, you just want the change mm. just to see how it goes and maybe it's not guaranteed trophies if you go to Manchester United but maybe it's just a better chance and it's something fresh and it's something new and it's a project that you can throw yourself into and and you never know and that's the I mean I mean wasn't there talk of PSG before as well and um, probably when Pochettino was there and there was you could see that and that's probably 
there's, there's this, an element of guaranteed silverware that comes with that that you have with Byron, but it's not an easy equation. Um, but I sort of but wonder... Fa- fa- factoring in all what you said there, like, you know, I mean, you know, would you want to be a one-club man? Would you leave to go to a club to, that's going to compete for, you know, League Cups and FA Cups, Man United, even if the takeover does go through, are probably a, a couple of years away from challenging for leagues. You know, do you just say, you know, I'm going to stick with Spurs because, you know, if... And it's a big if. If Spurs manage to get themselves right, they'll be challenging for those types of competitions as well. And you have the legacy of being, you know, a one-club man. And in fairness, Harry Kane, he, he, it's very hard to read where he's at because he's never out in the press. He's never ever mentioned it. You know, I know there was a stage, was it last year, before City bought, bought Haaland, that yeah. there was rumours that they wanted him. But they decided that paying the $100 million that Spurs were looking for was just not worth it because they obviously knew they were getting Haaland in, in 12 months' time, and they just wanted kind of a, a stopgap, if you know what I mean. Um, so it's an interesting one, actually, to see how that plays out, but it, it won't be an easy situation for, for, for Harry Kane to get out of there. It feels like almost a sense of deja vu to what he went through last season because there's the exact same amount of uncertainty in terms of where he might go or who is interested. It was City were kind of the main contenders, but there was yeah. a lot of other teams also there that saying they might be interested in him. And then there was, as Damien was saying, all this stuff with... Daniel Levy, where he was like, I don't know if I want to let you go. And like, there was a lot of embarrassment for Harry Kane around that. And you'd wonder is if he knows that Daniel Levy is in a similar sort of mindset now and is thinking about, you know, I'm not going to let you go until a manager comes in. I'm not going to let you go unless I get exactly the amount of money I want. Even mentally, does Harry Kane want to go through that again? Yeah, and like there was managerial uncertainty around Spurs as well. And then, of course, there came the point where Spurs hired Conte and everyone was thinking, OK, and like all the Spurs fans, or maybe it was just JD, like thought Spurs were going to come second this year. And like that was a view at the start of the season that did exist. Like there was, you know, there were people, and you know, taking the joke on the side, who were very confident Spurs would be a top four side this year just because of the Conte factor, his impact, and that proved not to be the case. And you kind of wonder, it's been such a disastrous season for Spurs that and maybe it's just people you know when you're listening to that it feels like Spurs fans might be more understanding if he was beaten down and wanted to try something different now as compared to when the last time when Spurs had been more competitive in recent memory you know had been to a Champions League final and I don't know would it be as rancorous if he tried to go now with a year left in his deal compared to last time when, of course, him being signed into a deal mm. which had no wiggle room. Like we talked about release clauses earlier in a different context. You know, some people would say he should have had something in to protect him for that and he didn't. Um, would it be as would it be as fraud if he tried to go down the, that road this time? I think what Damien says about Levy is completely right. No matter what the scenario is, they're not going to make it easy. And maybe the option is there for him. I mean, it's a completely different thing to, to, to see his contract out and then go to Europe, you know, do it that way. Um, I mean, obviously what would he be then, Dan? 31 when his contract Yeah, is? I'm not sure. I'm trying to think what you, yeah, like he'd be in that, in that territory. Right, listen, yeah, yeah it's, not, it's, not, it's not the worst thing in the world. But again, you've had another year of going through the millet spurs, like <laughs> mentally, can he get himself in a place to get through 12 more months? Mm-hmm. Um or does he just just bite the bullet and sign a new long term contract at Spurs, um, and just go? Do you know what? Um, you know the opportunity is is passed for me to make to make it to a Manchester City or to a, a I don't know Juventus maybe. You know a real top echelon team in Europe um, that I want to say Europe, Juventus might, won't be competing with the, the the reassessment of their points deduction with Champions League, but you know a top end Champions League team. Has that opportunity passed and there's nothing really in the Premier League that, that, that that's jumping out at me that's a whole pile better than staying at Spurs? 
um, it'd be interesting. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to say if United are interested in them and they're going, you know, they're looking at new contract situations for Marcus Rashford and like the whole sort of knock-on effect of bringing in a, a very well-established player like Harry Kane into a team that you get the sense that Ten Hag is trying to grow from the bottom up and kind of take away all, yeah. all the stuff that came before. Yeah, it's true, actually. I was, but you, you could see how Kane and Rashford could work, you know, together on a, on a regular basis, I suppose. Like, I just think with Manchester United, yeah, there's so many things there that are up in the air with the, the takeover and all that, because you know that whenever that goes through for someone, like, every owner likes to make some kind of statement. You know, you need to sort of, uh, you know, you need to announce yourself. And I suppose... Would Harry Kane be a statement? Well, see, this is the question. I don't know. Like, is is an England captain and potential Premier League record scorer a statement? In some ways, you feel like it is. You know, it can be. It could be sold as such. But um, I don't know. I you're, do you're, you're, you're skeptical, Damien, on that. You're uh, not sort of. Look, I mean, it's not, it's not know, exciting you as a as a sort of a purchase. No. No, it's uh, listen. It's got Manchester United written all over it. You know, when you look at the, yeah. the, the players, the, the players they're signing, they're, they're probably the only ones that would pay twenty percent over his market value just to get him in the door. You know, he's a big name. It's going to sell a lot of shirts, but his age profile, the length of contract you're going to have to give him. You know, at his age, he's going to at least take one of four, four minimum four, probably close to the five year deal. Now you're hitched to him like Casemiro till 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 their mid thirties. You know, and, and how does that affect you moving forward? But I suppose if this Qatari money comes in, that's a moot point, you know, really at this stage. Um, they will throw a five-year deal at him and go, do you know what, in two years' time we'll deal with it and we'll, 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 we'll pick up the pieces of that. But I don't know, I just think that, that you know, scouring across Europe, there's young, hot strikers um, or there's better age profile players that are still on the way up. Um, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of United Spurs fans would disagree with that. Harry Kane is an incredibly good striker. But have we seen the best of him? I mean, he will guarantee you 20 goals a season. But, you know, the real elite Harry Kane, maybe those days are gone. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, he's just talking at the moment to the fans at the Tottenham Stadium. So we will check in if there's anything interesting that he said uh, after we chat to James O'Donoghue, who is down in Kerry, ready to go for Kerry and Mayo. James, how are you? Set the scene. What What's it like down in Killarney today? Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing? Oh, it is... Such an unbelievable occasion down here. It's 20 degrees. There's 25,000 people going to be in Fisher Stadium. The atmosphere is unreal. I walked through town um, just to come up to the stadium about an hour ago, and the atmosphere around town is just incredible. It, Killarney has been starved of big games over the last couple of years because the last big game really was 2019 against against Mayo in a, in a group stage game when really the Munster Championship isn't filling out the stadium. So to see... Fisher Stadium this packed and everyone just buzzing for football is unbelievable there's just a great energy around town and we were just saying it's actually a pity that there's only one game like this in the in the season it would be lovely to have games like this in venues like this three or four times in the year because it deserves it but the the atmosphere down here is unbelievable yeah I'm jealous I can hear the atmosphere behind you there and the nice weather as well I am also very very jealous of uh, three late changes for Mayo how do you think that's going to affect the game O'Hara McHugh and Doherty coming in? I know I think it will affect Mayo I mean if you think about it Mayo have had four or five weeks to get ready for this game and to come in then with, with three injuries is very disappointing for them if you, if you think the downside of probably playing matches is you're risking injuries you shouldn't have 
as many injuries after a training block so they'll be very disappointed to come in here without Paddy Durkin without Cohn and possibly without uh, Phil McDonough so they'll be disappointed they don't have a full pick I think that's the, that's the first thing to note but how the changes are going to affect them I think the main one is Paddy Durkin to be missing his attacking prowess and also his marking ability he probably would have picked up Paddy Clifford I'd imagine so to be missing him in attack and defence is a massive loss that said they have O'Hara to come in O'Hara has a lot of experience he marked Clifford last year twice so he's he's been in and around the action so it won't be too big a loss defensively in that way but definitely in terms of attack I think Durkin provides so much for them so they'll be very disappointed that they come down here without the full pick I think and quick prediction of who's going to win today well I don't want to jinx them but Kerry do have a fantastic record in Fitzgerald Stadium it's it's where they train you know they're, they're here a Tuesday a Thursday and a Saturday every single week they know this place like the back of their hand it's such a warm day and Kerry haven't really done any sort of, a, of an aggressive warm up they've just been kicking at the post for the last half an hour so I imagine that they're going to be fairly uh, fairly on point in terms of their skills and their shooting so if Kerry can be accurate up front I expect them to win but that said Mayo have, have a training block under their belt they're going to be fit they're going to be aggressive so if there's an upset here it won't be the biggest surprise in the world but I think that Kerry are well set I'm shocked that you picked Kerry James but uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll Forever get a good alive. match anyways and I, I doubt that will be the last time we see these two teams going up in epic battles this year thanks so much James and we'll check in again with you later on in the show thanks Katnine talk soon that's James O'Donoghue there who is down at Kerry versus Mayo in Killarney and there will be updates across news talk throughout the day and you'll be able to find all the information as well wherever you get your podcast or your digital shows um, we're getting close to our 3 o'clock kickoff. so just as a reminder to everyone Liverpool are facing Aston Villa Wolves Everton in the important relegation battle Bournemouth Man United Fulham Crystal Palace and then later on at half 5 we have Nottingham Forest versus Arsenal in what is a pretty much do or die match for them although you would say at this stage <laughs> they're probably well dead. gone they're, dead yeah. already. They're, they're already gone although they have a dog now at the London Colony Arteta has brought in a dog called Wynn to encourage the players so they already had a cat and now they have a dog who is a full time carer and the staff at London Colony all have like a rota as to who walks them every day and he was there for Aaron Ramsdale signing his new contract as well so yeah this I is I completely missed this I have to say <laughs> I, I thought it was a joke. I saw it on social media first and I, I was like, they have a dog. Okay, I can kind of see it, you know, team building might be nice. And then I saw the dog was called Win, and I was like, <laughs> dear Lord, as a gunner myself, I am slightly ashamed. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, if it works for the team, it works for the team. You can't deny what Arsenal have done this season so far. Um, I've had an amazing season, but like that just, it just feeds, it just invites scorn. Oh you know? yeah, like it was funny because as well, part of it was that there's an olive tree on the Emirate or on, at London and calmly that he used that Arteta uses to encourage players and as a source of inspiration and he got the gardener to do up a mini version of the olive tree that used to sit in the middle of their team meetings and stuff as you know shoots growing or something like that um, but yeah we'll talk a bit more that, about that after the break uh, football is brought to you by Sky proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team
And you are welcome back to Off the Ball. I'm Kathleen McNamee here with Dan McDonnell and Damien Delaney on the line. Our three o'clock kickoffs have just started. I have Liverpool Aston Villa in front of me, and it is still nil all Liverpool's last home game for the season. And much like Harry Kane at Spurs, they're going to be saying goodbye to a few players there. I saw a massive poster of Firmino's face there uh, down the cop end. How much of a legacy is Firmino going to leave at Liverpool? Oh yeah, I mean like the you know between I suppose like Firmino and Milner and Oxley Chamberlain, there's obviously different grades there. I mean Firmino's like is always going to be synonymous with a great period in their history because it's the three of them together. Like it's the Firmino, Salah, and Mane axis, and um, probably yeah the the unher probably the, the 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 unsung hero of the three you could argue. Um, but probably the one whose value became more apparent when he wasn't in the team, uh, maybe at times as opposed to when he was in it. So, look, I mean, I think Liverpool fans, are, you know, are going to look back on the last whatever happens now. Um, they're going to look back on the last sort of half decade very fondly for a long period of time, and his legacy is is very safe. And Damien, in terms of the fact that there are quite a few players, I suppose, with a bit of experience leaving. Um, Liverpool at the end of this season what does that mean for Klopp's rebuild after this season because it hasn't been the greatest of years for them but I think a lot of people still think that you know it's, it's Liverpool there's always the potential to come back and have another great season Oh Liverpool will undoubtedly be back next year you know whatever happened or whatever went on you know I know they had a lot of injuries as well and they seem to lost their way a lot of players started to look a little bit tired um, but they managed to get it going the last seven or eight games really really got it going and it's just the springboard they're looking for going into next year I think it's a good thing that those players are moving on they've all been there a long time their production levels have dropped off I know James Milner's um, production levels haven't been great for a number of years but like he's always contributed and he's obviously a really really good character off the pitch as well and setting standards himself and Henderson um, always seem to be mentioned when it comes to, to, to leadership roles um, so it's it, 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 it's right, but now it's up to other players to pick up where they left off. That's just like the, the, the passing of the torch, so to speak. Um, and the new lads will have learned from James Milner, Milner and his leadership and his his skill set. And it's other players now to, to, to pick it up. So, um, look, Liverpool are due a little bit of a rejig in midfield. And for that to happen, you need to move on some players that have maybe gone a little bit stale and maybe weren't contributing as much as what Liverpool were looking for. And it's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And one of the other players has been a bit of movement about, or to talk about anyways, um, although Klopp was very strong this week about keeping him, was Kelleher, the Irish goalkeeper. How likely or unlikely do you think a move is for him? Yeah, I, I saw Klopp's comments yesterday were very emphatic about the possibility of um, him staying, or you know, that he wouldn't be open to the, the concept of selling him, which I think is surprising. Um, now, look, Klopp probably hasn't just been asked about it before. You know, it's it's not, you know, it's not it's a big news agenda story here rather than there. And I suppose the number two keeper isn't on anyone's mind. I mean, Queen Keller hasn't played a league game this year. I was looking at you know, always look at the end of every year. You know, the stats for how many Irish players played in the Premier League this year. And I was just looking at it the other day. I'm like, where's Keller? He didn't even get, play a game at all. Um, and he's not, you know, he's getting on to sort of 24 now territory, Cuevin Keller. And I think he sort of is at the stage where he has to move. Um, now, it's possible that, that they facilitate some kind of season long loan or you can always do the sale and the buyback option. Um, but I suppose, you know, his, his he, he did sign a good long term deal. 
um, in recent memory that sort of protected his uh, naturally probably put him into a different level of financial security and 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 has given him a good contract and I suppose Liverpool can can have a degree of control but if you look at it step back and look at it independently like I, I understood why Cueven Keller would want to stay at Liverpool for as long as possible to be around an elite environment every day to be you know playing or around big games Champions League finals you can't you can't begrudge him that and, and I think sometimes people it was unreasonable to expect him to just get out of there straight away but I think he's past that tipping point now of it being just maybe not hindering him and he said it himself like he, he was very clear on Irish duty last year he spoke like someone who was at that point of wanting to go and I feel for now that that is what he needs to do but Klopp's comments would suggest it's not going to be easy yeah. I don't know Dan I, I, so I, like, it stinks a little bit of like upselling a little bit do you reckon you know, yeah I do you know um I don't think Liverpool are in a, in a situation where they have unlimited amount of cash to spend. They're going to have to raise some funds. And he's an obvious one, you know, where you're not the detriment of the, it's not to the detriment of the squad. You know, he's obviously an important member, but he's a sub-goalkeeper. You can kind of pick another one of those up in a free transfer and just go, Do you know what, we'll, we'll get with that through the year. You know, Alisson's injury record is, is really, really good. And if he does get injured, um, look, we you know, we always have someone to get us through a short period and then maybe get an emergency one in or something like that. I think he, w- he would command a fee. Um, and I think the manager is is just upselling it. You're not for sale, and if you know, he's obviously had interest in him, um, and obviously people have inquired, and he's basically sending a message out. You know, he's not for sale. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him move on in the summer. Yeah, because I know when I covered Arsenal and uh, Liverpool in the Conti Cup two years nearly ago now, and I was over in London, and loads of people were asking me, you know what's the view of Kelleher at home in Ireland? Because they, they were all English journalists and they were kind of almost baffled that he was still behind the scenes at Liverpool and at that stage hadn't really pushed for a move. Whereas I think a lot of people here have the same sort of way you looked at it, Dan, of, you know, it's great to be in that elite environment. It's the perfect training ground. He obviously was their penalty saver a couple yeah. of times, or penalty hero uh, a couple of times. In terms of where, if he did go, where he might land himself and where he might progress even more and actually make even more of a name for himself I know like a couple of people mentioned the fact that Spurs are in the hunt for a goalkeeper this year but I don't know if you necessarily want an Irish player going into the yeah the general madness that is Spurs at the moment yeah I don't know I mean there's obviously a bit of chat about Brentford um because their keeper looks to be moving on but then they've been linked with another goalkeeper I, I don't really know I mean I I think um you know, at one point people were this is a year ago or so people were wondering about Leicester when Schmeichel was moving on and I'm not entirely sure. I, I suppose like there might be a little bit of a, a merry-go-round because there's a bit of talk of interest in Sanchez at Brighton and even though he hasn't been playing in recent weeks, but um I, I think I think there'll be movement. I, I think he's I think he would get a Premier League move, there's no doubt. And maybe what Damon says is right, just a little bit of game play in here um, by, by Liverpool. They're aware of the interest. And I think actually, to be fair, it has been reported at various times this season that Liverpool do need to raise some money and Callagher's name was mentioned. I don't know. It's it's very hard to say. Like, the, the weird thing about Cleveland and Callagher is that in some ways he's still a little bit of an unknown quantity which it seems like he's played in some because well, he never had a run at no he's never played he's... yeah he's never had that like Gavin Bazuna this year has faced into like you know playing 32 games and you know five six games in a row of, of conceding goals and you know the, 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 the scrutiny the misery that comes with that and I mean he'd had that at Rochdale a couple of years ago in a COVID time but this is like very public the Premier League 
And Creeping Keller has come in at times, but has always pleasantly surprised people. And to go from that to a place where you're the number one for a team lower down the table, um, but that, I think that'd be great for him. I think he, he's at the point where that's where exactly where he needs. But I, I think in fairness, there have been times where he's come into a big Liverpool game and he looks so calm, so good with the ball at his feet, um, and and you're thinking, yes, everything you hear is positive about him. But in a way. Until he's had that pressure of of maybe not being in that wonderful environment every day, where I, I'd imagine Liverpool is still a pretty good dressing room. I know they haven't had a great season. Um, I'd imagine it's a decent dressing room. You know, you, you go lower down the table to a club that's in relegation. You have players looking to get out, and you have this. And, and Damien will know the environments can be different. You know, it's it's a completely different test for a player. And I'd be very interested to see him try and negotiate that. Yeah, and just a quick score update. United are 1-0 up Casemiro there, getting a goal in the ninth minute, still nil all in Liverpool, Aston Villa. It's kind of the curse of the Irish goalkeeper between uh, Kelleher and Courtney Brosnan, not getting a lot of game time, but then whenever they do play, managing to actually perform quite well, which is you know, not not bad for an Irish sense of things, but you, you would want to see them playing a little bit more. Um, and then in terms of Bazunu, Damien, do you think that after what has been an incredibly stressful year for him, sticking with Southampton and I suppose having that year in the championship, you know, is that the sort of time that he might need to rebuild confidence or is it the sort of thing where he's sitting there now looking and seeing, well, is there maybe a lower Premier League side that I can go up and stay in the Premier League with? Oh, he could look all he wants, but I'm not sure it's going to be there, to be honest with you. You know, um, I'm pretty sure everyone who gets relegated will be looking up the league thinking, is there anywhere I can go? But, you know, he's not had a good season. There's no getting away from that. You can't deny that. Um, and, you know, I think Dan's point there is valid about Quivine as well. Like, you never know until you go out and you have to play um, game after game after game, let alone season after season after season. I mean, that's that's the, the true test of a professional is can you live your life in a way where you can keep churning out decent performances at whatever level you're playing at you know even if it's league two to, to be a professional footballer every week is a difficult thing to do you know to be able to forget about the previous match whether it was good or bad and prepare for the next one and, and have a level of confidence going into it and I think that Gavin has had a, a really really tough season no it can be the making of him it's, it's happened before he can go into the championship and and realise that, you know, I've learned how to be professional, have a good season, get some confidence, and then bounce back to the Premier League. So it's not a, a necessarily a bad thing for him. But, I mean, in terms of going back to the Premier League as a starter, I think that's 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 absolutely not going to happen. Um, does he want to go back to the Premier League as a number two or a number three goalkeeper? Of course not. So it happened to made a huge investment in him. Um, he got dropped out of the team at the back end of the season for Alex McCarthy. Um, and he just needs to go away, regroup, go back into the Championship, regain some confidence, put in some good performances. So Hampton will undoubtedly be up near the top end of the championship competing and he just needs to establish himself and then potentially get a move back to the Premier League in, in, in a better place. Yeah, and we'll look at the relegation battle that is ongoing in a little bit. But first, we're going to go back to James O'Donoghue down in Killarney to get a bit of a score update. All level down there at the moment, 3-3, James. Hi, Kathleen. Yeah, it's three each after about 14 minutes, but... It could be a very different story. Kerry started very sluggish and Mayo were so physical and aggressive. And only for, for Shane Ryan in goal, then Kerry would have been in a lot of trouble. He's after making two unbelievable saves from one-on-one -on -one chances for Mayo. First of all, the ball was kicked into Ryan O'Donoghue who won a mark. And Kerry didn't track the runners. And he, he gave it off to Dermot O'Connor in on goal, one-on-one -on -one with Shane. And he pulls off a great save. 
and then Mayo did a brilliant turnover around halfway on, on Sean Shea as he was coming out of defence and they were in on goal again and this time it was James Carr and Shane Ryan made himself so big to make the save so Kerry could have been six down at the moment it's three each Clifford has just put over a great score from play from about 45 yards as Mayo are through again they're in on goal Portugal Hora has fisted it over it's wide open Kathleen there could be five or six goals gone in already but uh, at the moment it's 4-3 to Mayo but a great game it sounds like fairly breathless stuff down in Killarney at the moment and uh, James will be bringing us more updates throughout the afternoon uh, just looking at the scores in the Premier League at the moment Manchester United still have that 1-0 lead and then it is nil all in all the other games so in terms of the relegation battle at the moment we know Southampton and Leicester are pretty much Gone. Southampton definitely gone. Yeah, Leicester, Leicester maybe not, but not looking great. Yeah, not looking great. Yeah, it's, it's a tough run for them. Uh, in terms of the other ones, so you have Leeds on 31, Everton 32, Nottingham Forest on 34, and you would assume West Ham are pretty much all right there on 37. Uh, who is your bet for who is going to be the final three? It's like the X Factor. I'm not sure. I, I did. I must admit now, like this is the thing. Like two weeks ago, I, I had a feeling Leicester would stay up. I, I just thought they would, they would pull it out, and um, it's not looking terrific for them now. Maybe it's just the Everton beating Brighton has like thrown things a bit. Like I think it could be the bottom three today. I mean, you know, I know Leeds play Spurs next weekend, and like Spurs are so mentally frail at the moment. I mean, we were talking about earlier. I think Harry Kane got a Player of the Season award. That's what he was doing there. The stadium was quarter empty, and do you, like you, you'll have a heaving Ellen Road next weekend, and you're thinking, you know, are Spurs the team that's going to go and and perform? So if you're the teams ahead of them, I'd give Forest half a chance against Arsenal today, actually. Um, just with Arsenal probably being in that Even sort of... Even more, half a chance yeah, with the way Arsenal yeah. have been playing the last but few weeks. I sort of feel like this is a big game for Everton actually against Wolves. You know, this actually probably is sort of a very important game for them today. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Everton could go down if they don't win this afternoon. I think today... Le- Leeds, Leeds have Leeds of West Ham this weekend. I mean, you know, West Ham after what they did during the week, what type of mental state are they going to be in yeah. how, how, how large were the celebrations we saw the video of the, the, the change room afterwards yeah. not making any accusations here but there was some some beverages uh, floating around you'd wonder how long those celebrations actually went on um, and mentally where they're going to be so you know it's an opportunity for Leeds if they can start well at home as well to to really stick it on West Ham and see what they're made of. And, you know, if, if the going gets tough early for them, they might just think, you know, well, we haven't got the energy reserves today. We're already safe. So that could be a big three points. So I think Everton's game at Wolves today could be could be crucial. It's nil-nil at the moment. But um, I would fancy Leeds to pick up a win against West Ham also. Yeah, you, you, sorry. Like, you, you know, you look at Leeds playing Spurs next weekend. I'm just, I'm just reminding myself of the fixtures, to be honest. Like, Everton at home to Bournemouth. Bournemouth had a good season, but again, they're probably in that. They're going to be in that holiday mode, potentially that beach mode. And Forest, like they're away to Crystal Palace now. Actually, I know Palace are absolutely fine, but they've they've been actually very good in the mm. second half of the season under Hodgson. And I don't know, Damien knows more about that club and personalities involved. But I'm not sure if they'll sort of phone in at home on the last day against Forest. They could be, they could be dangerous enough for Forest. So maybe Forest are looking at this Arsenal game today like maybe it is Wolves Everton could be key in a way because Leeds have half a chance of picking up six points with that running yeah it's it's actually 
the top of the table has got pretty boring over the last couple of weeks with the way mm. that Arsenal have imploded a little bit. But down the bottom, it's very hard. I feel like week to week, you ask people who they think the bottom three are going to be. And it changes because there has been those surprise results, like you said. Damien, you're talking there about West Ham and kind of coming off the high that they were on after their win in the Conference League during the week. But another one of the, the great matches of the week was one that none of us maybe expected, but that comeback in the playoff semi-finals. And I know you've been there before yourself in terms of playing in those sort of games. How do Sheffield Wednesday, I suppose, mentally prepare themselves over the next week or so to go into Wembley? And Because, I mean, coming from 4-0 down, like two goals in extra time, the drama of the penalties, winning it, scoring all five of theirs, and then only one missed on the other side. Like, it's going to take at least a week, I would say, to come down from that sort of high. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if you want to come down. You know, if you ever wanted to put wind in your sails, that'll do it for you. I mean, the city would be absolutely buzzing. I know Sheffield United got promoted as well, but the Wednesday half of it will be will be absolutely buzzing. The players, I don't think, would have slept a wink after that game. But the feel-good factor, the, the level of, of durability that they had to just go into that game and believe that you could get something out of it and keep going and then do what they did in extra time in, in, in levelling it again. And then penalties, and you want to harness that, bottle it, I suppose, and, and, and keep that feeling as much as you possibly can. And be a brave man now to bet against Sheffield Wednesday in the final. What, what's the dressing room like in these in this playoff vibe? Because I know, I know you've talked about it before, right? The emotion you felt from Crystal Palace. You couldn't escape the cameras when, you're, you, know, when, when, when you went up and, and the feeling of going through the playoffs. But... I don't know what what's it like in a dressing room because someone said to me before I can't think who it was you know promotion's a weird thing because some players will know they might not necessarily play when a team goes up to the next level like you're obviously very invested in getting up but it's such a it's such a, a range of emotions the dressing room must feel at this time of the year particularly down the leagues where maybe contract lengths are a little bit shorter and there's so much going on at this time of the year. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an opportunity to be successful and no matter what league you're in, if it's League 2, League 1 or Championship or or, or, or even National League, when you look at what happened with the Notts County situation, mm. I don't know if anyone was following that. I yeah. mean, that's well mm. worth looking into. That was outrageous um, down at Plymouth, what, what went on with them. It was so it was equally as exciting as the, the Sheffield Wednesday one. But the, the reason there's so much on it is because it's, it's, it's life-changing, you know, especially from the Championship to the Premier League, but even League 2 to League 1, you know, players will be getting a bump in money, they're playing at a different level. Um, and I suppose because it's a 46-game season, you know, you thought, you know, in the Champions League, it's a you know six-game six group and stuff like that. You go through so many emotions because over a, a, a spell of games that length, you're going to have spells where you're in form, you're out of form, things are going for you, you deserve it wins, deserve it losses, whatever it might be. And then it all comes down to just one game at one stadium, 90 minutes, and there's no tomorrow. And if you win, you're moving up a level. And that's part of the success that I'm talking about. And if you lose, you're staring down the barrel of 46 more games. So there's so much at stake and everybody's aware of it because even in, especially in the championship, say, right, you, you know, you get into the playoff final and if, if you win, you know, you're a Premier League player and it doesn't matter, you know, as long as you have a contract, you're going to go back as a Premier League player that preseason. And, you know, to have that on your CV is, is, is incredible because anybody that's even played in the championship understands what a difficult mental torture it is to play in that 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 league because there's so many games but then your whole life chains in 90 minutes or 120 minutes whatever you know if it goes to extra time or penalties even worse um but your whole life changes and on the flip side if you lose it 
man, you're coming back pre-season in, in, in early July and you're staring down the barrel of that again. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. So um, it, it's great. And, and that's why it produces these types of games because it's, there's so much at stake and the pressure is so much that these wild things seem to happen. You can almost hear the like joy in your voice as you're reminiscing on the great glory days that you had there. I would never, I would never want to go back and do it again. I, I promise <laughs> that. Like, never. If someone put me in that situation, no, I would just be like, no, no, thank you. The, that pressure is just way too much. But I suppose at the end, at, at the end of the season, you're just in that mental, mentally in a place where you're like, you know, you're durable, you're switched on, you're resilient, you know. But when you think of what's at stake, and, and even only like recently, there our ten-year anniversary from when we got promoted in, in in 2013 was was this week, and I remember talking to my mum like you know, and she was at Wembley that day, and you forget what it's like for family members sitting in in a, in in a, in a box or in Club Wembley watching it, and my mum telling me that like she didn't watch the second half, she was in a hallway pacing up and down because she just couldn't bear to watch it because you know, your family are as equally as invested in it as what you are because they want you to be successful. They have no control over it. But being at a stadium like Wembley, knowing that your hopes and dreams are 90 minutes away, everything you ever wanted, everything you ever looked for, a promotion is something that nobody can ever take away from you um, because they never know how difficult it is. So, you know, your family members, my sisters tell me the stories of like them as well, just like staring at the floor and just anytime a ball went in either box, they were just like just, eating their fingernails and so like you know it's incredible to look back on now and laugh but geez I wouldn't want to go through it again I interviewed John Egan's mum and she talks about sneak pretending to be Portuguese to sneak into Ireland versus Portugal because the way fans weren't allowed into the game I remember them celebrating the goal yeah Yeah. Uh, John Egan scored in Faro and went over to celebrate with some Irish fans which is unusual because there wasn't meant to be any there (laughs) they just suddenly Uh, turned up with their knockoff Portuguese jersey Uh, just a quick update on the Premier League so Aston Villa have just missed a penalty to go 1-0 up Watkins missing there across all the other fixtures uh, they've remain the same about 24 or 25 minutes gone there Manchester United the only one who has scored so far nearly out of time but big games in the WSL tomorrow with Manchester Derby and London Derbys to decide the Champions League places and of course the under 17s are playing Wales in a very important game for their European hopes at half three Dan and Damien thank you very much for joining me today it's no been worries. a pleasure uh, football on off the balls brought to you by Sky proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team thanks for listening